Hello and welcome back to my podcast, Why Me? I'm your host, Jake. In this episode, I talked with my friend Shelly about her experience as a parent living with a mental illness and her 12-year-old son's decision to run from Barrie to Ottawa to help kids. Listen to this episode if you want to learn how her son's decision has given Shelly the opportunity to be vocal about her journey, how we can all learn to become yes parents, and frankly, if you want to be inspired. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to my podcast, Why Me? Uh, This is episode number seven of Guest Chats, and I'm here with my friend Shelly. Shelly, do you just want to introduce yourself? Hi there, I'm Shelly Hofer. Um, Shelly is, I met Shelly doing some stuff for Jack.org at Queens, and her son ran from Barrie to Ottawa and raised money for youth mental health. He sure did. <laughs> and he's amazing. He's pretty good. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty proud of him. <laughs> so, you know, first off, I just want to start by by chatting a bit about, you know, you, you talked a little bit about your struggle with mental illness that resonated with your son and, and which kind of spiraled this to happen. And so I would love to hear about your journey and your struggle. I definitely think he has, um, even though he's only 14 at this point, he's inspired me to start sharing my story more. Um, kids this, this day and age seem so much more open and empathetic and inclusive, and they don't seem to be as judgmental. So it's definitely inspiring me to, to go deeper in sharing what I've been through in my life. And um, to try and make a very long story short, I guess people noticed something was a little bit different about me when I was just five and six years old. I seemed to be super sensitive. Mm-hmm. I would um, I would cry at sad commercials or when they showed commercials about animals that need to be adopted or kids in Africa that were starving and such. I really, really, really seemed to react to those things so much more deeply than um, than a lot of other kids. Um, I At school, I'd try and find closets to, to hide and to cry uh, because I learned pretty quickly that people really don't want to see you crying or hear that you're feeling really sad. And um, so I learned to hide it really fast. So I, I'd put my mask on and, and for the next 15 years or so of my education, I, I basically flew kind of over the radar. I got great grades. I tried so hard to, to get the teacher to love me. I was friends with all the students. I was voted student of the month nearly every month. Wow. I, um, I excelled, and, and I think that that was my way of, of hoping that nobody would notice that there was something different and something that I thought was fundamentally wrong because I didn't understand. I, I knew people didn't cry that much. They didn't right. feel that amount of grief that I seemed to feel. Um, I didn't necessarily think that I was a bad person. I just knew that I was supposed to hide it. Uh, it was mm-hmm. like a whole kind of, you stop your crying or I'll give you something to cry about kind of era. Oh, right. So, Interesting. Yes. So I think it was about, I was about 20 years old or so, and I saw this pamphlet at my doctor's office, and it said if you have something like five of these 20 symptoms, you might have signs of depression. And I had 19 of the symptoms. And that's what it kind of clicked, and I was like, oh, my gosh, is that what that is? Is that what that feeling is, that, yeah. that complete grief? Because when you're in the middle of depression, and I'm, and I'm sure that many of the people that you talk with might not realize this, but they'll all identify with it. You you go through periods of extreme sadness, and you try to assign real life reasons for why you're feeling Absolutely. so sad and feeling 
such grief. And maybe for me it was, oh, I'm feeling really, really sad right now. Maybe it's the job I'm in, even though it's a spectacular job, and I quit. Or I'm feeling quite off right now. It must be my boyfriend, and I'd break up with them, and they were spectacular people. And it never, ever, ever made a lot of sense or really resolved any sort of issues or anything. But you desperately try and assign a rational reason for such irrational feelings. No, that's really and, interesting. I, I, that really resonates with me as well. And I remember, you know, last fall, I would have lots of days where I thought I was sad just because, I don't know, the world was sad or stuff like that. I mean, I, I totally you know what you mean. you the wrong school course or Ex- you didn't absolutely. think you were doing good enough at something. Or... Absolutely. And, and I think that's really helpful for students too because, you know, at a lot of the times when we're at university, we're really sad and, and we think it's because the university we're at or it's the program we're in. And, and so I think recognizing that there might be something else going on is really helpful and really good advice. 100%. And, and just admitting to yourself or acknowledging, hey, these feelings feel a little bit irrational. They don't quite match the situation I, mm-hmm. I'm currently in. Things are really good and I'm doing really well. Why am I feeling this way? Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And it ends up, um, I, I, in between all these episodes and, and these down points, I still had a, a successful life. I still did really well in my career and found amazing jobs and met amazing people. And, and I got married and I had a son. And, and, but that, that grief was still kind of down there gnawing at me at the, at the worst of times. And, and uh, I really feared actually being a parent because I was so afraid of, being hyper aware of of looking for these possible genetic symptoms in my child or mm. or you know just not being a whole person even though I know that's not the truth and um yeah so fast forward another 20 years basically of trying to find working with doctors to try and find the right protocol for me to make me feel better mm-hmm. and um lots of ups and downs lots of um several hospitalizations a lot of stigma, a lot of reaction from uh, friends, and uh, some some of my family had a very hard time understanding it, but they're, they're so much better now because I've talked so much to them about how right. I'm truly feeling and how there is no blame or reason for it. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had ECT treatments. I've had uh, medication trials. I've had so many things. The ECT worked really, really well for me, but the side effects are sometimes really horrendous and I have um, giant blocks of memory loss from it and so now I'm receiving RTMS treatments which is repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation and every seven or eight months when remission ends for me and, and I want to use the same words that we use for other real illnesses that people identify with like cancer and, and kidney disease that when my brain which is an organ stops functioning properly in that one specific area mm-hmm. i go for treatments for six weeks every single day at CAMH, and it puts my organ back into working um motion again and i'm good for another seven or i'm great for another seven or eight months and, and i also want to mention the word homeostasis my brain i think because i had such strong symptoms when i was young i think i was born with with just a piece of my brain that just doesn't quite work properly and right maybe it's the serotonin levels or the other chemicals and such, because we know now that emotions are chemicals and electrical impulses. So 
So I think that my brain slowly returns back to that homeostatic point, much like a kidney would without medication, much like a pancreas would in diabetics without medication. It goes mm -hmm. back to its original state. So that's why I have to keep on top of it and keep recognizing that I might need more treatment. Wow. And so, you know, through all of this and, and through your through your journey, has there what have been the things that have that have really helped you besides besides the treatment and, and therapy? Family, definitely your support system. And I know that when things are really bad, you tend to want to push those people away. If you're having suicidal thoughts and such, you're feeling like a burden and it, it may not make sense to any, in anyone else's head, but in your own head, it seems to really tell you that you're, everyone would be better off without you around and such. And mm -hmm. we know this is not the truth, but that is what, that is what your brain will try and tell you. I actually, and, and I haven't told a lot of people this, I met Derek while I was receiving ECT treatments. And to this day, I'm still stunned that there's a human being out there that would want to stay with someone who apparently has quite a few issues. ECT, people still look at that and think of the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. They think it's this right. really horrible treatment. And, oh, my gosh, they must be really, really sick or right. hard to deal with if they're getting this treatment. But he's still here seven years later, and he's just as much a mental health advocate, although he's never gone through any mental health issues as... I am as, as my son is. So family, definitely. And a team of doctors, and it took me 20 years to find this, that actually hear you, validate you, make mm -hmm. you feel like a human being, and respond to you when you say, hey, things aren't quite right again. It turns it into a very clinical feeling rather than the emotional roller coaster that mental health is. And, and I want other people to get to the same point, to have their mental health feel clinical. They, they can recognize, hey, I'm not quite being myself, and my family t is telling me I'm not quite myself. Maybe it's time to go back for treatment again or to seek more help. Right. Mm -hmm. And I liked what you said about, about finding a team of doctors. And, and one thing that, that I've kind of come across, too, is, is people are going to see you know, therapists or doctors, and they're not necessarily connecting with them. And this first time that they reach out isn't really working. And so, you know, what advice would you have to people who are in that situation? Because a lot of the times it's hard to say, actually, I need to find someone else to who I really connect with. Exactly. And this is, this is a tough one and a critical one. It is absolutely critical to have that I don't want to say chemistry with your doctor because you don't have to have chemistry with them, but you do have to have a deep understanding. You have to know that you're feeling respected and that you're feeling heard. And we all know that when you're, when you're in the middle of depression or anxiety or psychosis or bipolar disorder, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You are lacking energy to do anything. So you have to reach deep or you have to have a family member who can advocate for you and say, Hey, this isn't working. Can we please move to the next option? Absolutely. Can we please keep moving forward? And, and it's knowing that that's available too, because, and not feeling guilty that you don't connect with them. That's totally okay. It's completely okay. There's people who don't connect with their doctors, doctors who are, who are doctors uh, for cancer treatments and Absolutely. such. And, and it's, it's just, connecting with someone that makes you feel the hope because the hope I think and and I just had an interview last week with Cam H I think they need to put giant lit up letters on the top of their tallest building that just say hope and, and it's like a beacon for people to go there because mm. that's what that hospital has done for me they've given me hope that when I'm feeling the worst I know I, there's another side to it 
I, I like what you said about hope too. And, and one thing that my psychiatrist said to me too, is that, you know, one thing they found is that through all these different treatments, such as medication, CBT therapy, you know, ECT, mm-hmm. no matter what kind of treatment you're doing, one of the things that they've found to be the most effective is having this feeling of hope. So whether you're getting hope through all these different facets of treatment, that's really the thing that makes these changes in our brain, which can actually help us a huge amount. You're exactly right. And I think too, once you find that treatment that flips that switch and and for me to describe the way I feel when I have ECT or RTMS, there's a morning that I actually wake up and it's like a, a switch has been flipped and it's it's almost like something isn't there rather than something is there. Mm-hmm. You know, the despair isn't there. That grief isn't there. And that alone makes you take that deep breath. You're like, oh, my gosh, that's what it feels like. I forgot what it feels like. And remembering that feeling and that, that you can feel that feeling again feeds you that little bit of hope and, and thus turns it into more of a clinical setting saying, I really feel like crap right now, but I know I can feel better. Mm-hmm. And you just keep moving forward and trying Amazing. And so, so tell me, I mean, I know the story, but I want to share with other people about how Zach started doing this and, and how his story kind of unfolded and and how, you know, for me, he's a, he's an inspiration to all of us who want to make a difference and, and do things that may seem crazy, but can have a large impact. So I'd love to hear about his, his whole story. I'm sitting here with a grin on my face because it it does make me happy to tell this story. He's still only 14, and I still hope that I've been doing the right thing with him. I have never really hid my mental illness from him. I may have hid the degree of how not so great things were, but mm-hmm. I've never really hidden it from him. And he's he's grown up to be a super empathetic kid, and I I'm very grateful for that. He's very kind. He doesn't like to see other people suffering, and he likes to help people. And mm-hmm. um, when he told me when he was, um, oh, it was over three years ago now, he was laying in bed one night, and he said, Mom, I want to do what Terry Fox did. I want to run across the country to help kids. <laughs> and I said, oh, my gosh, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> um, and I said, no. Absolutely not. What do you, what do you, you know, you just think it's a pipe dream. It's, it's just one of those things kids feel like they can do anything. Yeah. And um, he was relentless. He was, he drove it home for two years. He said, I really feel like I need to do this. I just want to help kids. So one, one day after he told us, like, yet again, Derek and I, we became yes parents. And, and I like talking about that. We, we say no to our kids so much for whatever reason. Oh, what they want sounds exhausting. Oh, what they want sounds too expensive. But we finally said, okay, he really needs to do this. Let's say yes. So we sat down with him. We went over some parameters. We changed it because we didn't really have time to run across the entire country. Yeah, and we thought, where, where can we go where change happens? And the decision was Ottawa. And we also decided you want to help kids, but what, what specific thing do you want to help kids do? And he'd seen me struggle with youth mental health. And I have, of course, been hyper aware looking for symptoms of, that it might have carried on to him. And I and think goodness, I haven't seen any of the same things that I used to do as a kid. So even though he does not suffer from any mental health issues, mm-hmm. and hopefully never in the future, he wanted to help kids with mental health. And, and I heard him say to an, uh, I don't, I can't remember if it was a TV news reporter or such, but they asked him a question and they said, well, I'm just thinking if, if better help had been there for my mom when she was young, maybe things would have been different. So maybe we can help other kids. 
And uh, it seemed really profound. So we started out on a journey. He had a goal of raising $10,000 for the local youth mental health unit at our hospital. And it's a brand new unit. We've Muskoka serves a great big area, and we've never had an inpatient hospital unit for kids who are struggling. So they were always sent very far away from their families, sometimes to Ottawa, sometimes to, to Toronto. And kids need to be near their families when they're going through such stressful Absolutely. situations. And um, we just can't believe the support of the community. Our Barry itself, they rallied behind Zach and they supported him. We had the Hitch House who donated an entire RV. It was absolutely incredible. It was a giant brand new RV that was ordered specially for us. And then another company wrapped the RV with Zach's entire story. So we could drive anywhere and people would know exactly what this was about. And Zach's face was on the side of it. So people knew exactly what was going on. And it just grew and grew and grew. And we set off on our journey on um, August the 10th from Barrie with a whole bunch of people. And Zach walked, rode his bike, and ran from Barrie to Ottawa with his stepdad, Derek, right by his side um, in a matter of 29 days. And when we planned the journey, we planned for mental health to be a part of that. We planned self-care days. We planned days off. We planned fun days. We planned days where we knew we were just going to be relaxing. Mm -hmm. But he, he busted his butt. He... He was 13 at the time, and he did 25 kilometers a day, five days a week. And uh, he had some hard days. Day 12 was his mental mental health day, basically, where he had to stretch beyond his own limits and, and finish it. And I was I wanted to go out there and pick him up and save him and say, you don't have to do this because you don't want to ever see your kids struggling. But we let him push through, and day 12 is the day that things change, and he realized that he can truly do anything and um, as of just a few days ago, Zach has officially raised, um, and I want to say rallied to raise, because it's the community that donates the money, $116,000 for this amazing. mental health unit. And it's still going. <laughs> amazing. That's awesome. It is amazing. And so, you know, what, what would you say to people who are parents or, or kids who, you know, have all these big ideas that they want to do and and you know, there's, there's a bunch of reasons why they don't think it can happen. How would you inspire them? First and foremost, say yes, become a yes parent, become a yes mom, a yes dad, a yes employer, a yes teacher, whatever it is. Kids aren't held down by the ideas of what we can do and what we can't do like we are. And just believe that it can happen. I think communities want to be inspired by young people and they will pull together behind them and make something happen. And we had no clue how big this would be or that we'd have so much help to do it because we, we've never done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't have done it without the, the support of the community, the sponsors. Um, listen to your kids' ideas. Their ideas are brilliant. And they're so, they come from such a true place in their heart. They truly want to help people. Uh, we, Zach he he learns a lot about himself. He learned he doesn't like to be in the spotlight. He doesn't like to mm-hmm. talk in front of people. And that itself created another version of his story. He was inspiring the quiet kids in class that, that you don't have to be the loudest person in the room to make a change. So if there's a parent who thinks that they have the quiet kid and that they're not going to make a big impact, don't think that at all because the quiet kids can make just as much impact. You don't have to be the loudest person in the room to, to make a big impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is, too, is, is, as you said, you know, oftentimes we say no to these things, but then the community 
wants them and rallies behind them. So it's almost this idea of, oh, no, this can't happen. But then when it does, we're so amazed and happy that they do. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I think we need to say yes more often, because you don't know what's going to happen out of something, especially when it's coming from a place of wanting to make your community a better place, from wanting to help those that need that help, or, or recognizing that something needs to change in, in the medical community. Mm-hmm. Zach, met, Zach met with many um, MPs and mayors, and he met with the Prime Minister, and he met with the Premier, and he met with the Minister of Health and the Minister of Child and Youth Education. And he, he asked all of them very, very simply in 13-year-old words, we need to make youth mental health a priority. And um, that was another thing. We never put words into Zach's mouth. We we wanted to keep it authentically a kid's version of something that he would do. We didn't give him things to say in front of the media. We didn't give him statistics to, to talk about because it wouldn't have sounded authentic. And I think that's another reason why things were so successful is because it was authentically him mm-hmm. doing and saying what he did. It wasn't these profound speeches that were written by a professional person. It was, right. it was Zach and he was very honest about himself and what he didn't want to do and what he did want to do. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's amazing. And you know, the other thing that you said that, that kind of resonated with me is, you know, on the, the 12th day where Zach was really struggling, it was really hard as a parent to watch your kid go through that. And, and one thing that, that I've noticed is a lot of parents, you know, you, you don't want to see your kid, suffer and you don't want to see your kids struggle whether that's a mental illness whether that's them having a hard time at school and so there is this tendency for parents to you know get involved and want to help them but you know my question to you is is do you think that as being super involved as a parent is helping our kids because I just I just worry that you know kids are growing up and they're not seeing these hard times until they get to university where they don't have someone looking over them as as much I think that's an amazing point. I, I really do because you're you're absolutely right. As a parent, you want to swoop in and save them and solve their problems so that mm-hmm. they don't feel heartbreak, that they don't feel heartache, they don't feel like they have to they have to be crushed by a failure. But I think that that obviously if obviously if your kid is really ill and they're they're absolutely. they're showing signs of suicidal thought, absolutely step in, intervene, do whatever you have to do. But if they're just having a hard time like they're they realize they didn't do what they need to do to study for an exam and they're cramming at the end they need to they need to go through that they need to they need to survive failure to know that it's just a stepping stone and it's just another attempt to try something they they need to push through mentally something challenging to realize that hey I do have the grit and the fortitude to to get through this and they'll never feel that if they're not given the chance to to challenge themselves absolutely Absolutely. it's a really good point you make (laughs) no and and I think you know what it's but it's at the same time it's so hard as a parent and and so it's finding that balance where you know you you need to let your kids go through a a lot of failure not I mean to some extent because they need to know how to deal with life offers exactly because that's what's going to happen right we're all not going to win all the awards. We're all not exactly. going to win. But we're hopefully all going to find what makes our own heartbeat and find our place in the world that, that makes us feel really peaceful about what we do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think, too, um, when someone is struggling, reaching out is really important. On day 12, we did reach out and we sent a message to everyone. And I actually posted a picture and I, I felt like I was 
cutting my heart open doing this. I posted a picture of Zach standing on the side of the road, and he's kind of looking down at the ground, and you could see in his mind, he's going, why did I do this? Why mm-hmm. did I... Why did I even think of doing this? This is the most horrible day in the world. There's so many hills. I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to quit. And I posted that. And within an hour, we had more than 200 messages from Amazing. people who have been following a journey just saying, Zach, keep going. You're fighting for all the kids who can't fight for themselves. And and those messages, that support, it's it's like sending energy to someone. It, oh, absolutely. It, exactly. So that makes me think about all these young people who are struggling, even Demi Lovato, I'm seeing so many negative comments about her and the, the crisis she's going through right now. And all I can think is, who are we to judge? Why don't we just send her good thoughts and energy? Like, we don't know what everyone else is going through. We don't know what's going on in their minds. And Absolutely. I can't see how negativity helps. That positivity is like fuel for a fire. It's, it will increase anyone's amount of energy if, they're, if they receive great messages. And that's what the community did for Zach that day. And it's so inspiring, even even hearing that story too. I mean, feeling what Zach would have felt like, and 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 going through that, I just get chills. I mean, it's so inspiring. And we all have to admit, we've been at a point in our lives where we feel like, oh, I just can't keep going. I don't want to. I don't want to do this. Why did I sign up for this? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so, the last thing that I I, I kind of want to chat about that you mentioned is is you know you've you felt that around Zach you've. I mean, obviously he knows about your struggle, but you've wanted to hide some of the harder parts of it. And and one thing that I've been thinking about and and exploring is that, you know, we have this fear of of showing our vulnerabilities and our hard times, etc. And, you know, while it can be good to shield people, it's also creating this environment where people aren't really comfortable speaking up because they feel that they're not supposed to. And even with my parents, you know, if there's a problem, they often don't talk to me about it. And, you know, what do you have to say about about that and, and making a society where people are comfortable being vulnerable? Because the reality is, as we've talked about, is that, you know, everyone's going to suffer, everyone's going to have hard times. So I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. But my question to you is, is, you know, do you think that that shielding our hard times is is helpful. Yes and no. It's it's an awesome question because I think the only way we remo- we move forward and remove stigma is by sharing completely how things are and by showing that um, mental illness doesn't discriminate against anybody. There are mm-hmm. very wealthy people who seem really incredibly successful. Obviously, who we're, we're seeing in the news who are who are taking their lives. There are homeless people who feel like there's nothing left for them who are taking their lives. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. It, it can find you. In terms, of, um, in terms of Zach and my own choice to hide some of it, I think it was more of an age-appropriate decision. Right. He's, a, he's, he's a worrywart just like I am. Right. And if, if he were to be five or six years old and, and think about something as heavy as, as my mom is thinking about taking her life. Even just saying that makes my gut curl. Mm. Um, not age appropriate. He knew that I would struggle and he would see the tears, but he didn't have to see the depth right. of that. As he gets older, we talk, like we do talk about suicide because we hear about it in the news. And we talk about it in a way that I'm hoping he can wrap his head around it um, without it feeling personal. And, and a mm. lot of people, especially kids, 
take on the blame factor and that is by all means like I, I need him to know how valuable he is and to me and and how if something like that ever happened it's not a reflection of him absolutely um, but in the general public and 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 this is why he's inspiring me to do this um he doesn't believe anyone should judge anybody else and and i'm starting to think that hey i don't even care if anybody judges me because this is my story this is my journey i have been as successful as as I can be obviously maybe I can strive higher for for new things that I'm interested in, and this is this whole experience of Zach's is opening up new avenues and doors for me in terms of sharing. But you're right, we unless we share the depths of how we are. Like I've had so many friends come up to me and say, "I had no idea you wore that mm-hmm. mask really well," and and I'm so glad you shared because I went through this, and you don't realize how connected we truly are, and and how much life does have ups and downs, and. And how we've been so conditioned to to achieve that happy feeling, and happy is a really hard thing to maintain. It's, oh, it's absolutely, really, it's like a excitement and energy. You don't want to be trying to maintain that, or achieving that, or, or believing that that's what you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Happy is one of those things you feel every so often, and you revel in it, and you 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 think it's amazing. But I don't know. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for contentment. I'm looking for balance. I'm I'm highs and lows are going to happen anyways but if I can maintain somewhere in the middle of that where I'm feeling like I'm contributing and and feeling fulfilled then that that is what I'm looking for and I think we have to share those stories as well absolutely and and I love what you touched on about just you know realizing that other people are struggling too and and part of what I've learned too is that you know to be human means to suffer and and you know it might not be a mental illness but you're going to lose loved ones you're going to have hard times so the person that you're speaking to or opening up about it is going to go through those times as well. So not only are you helping yourself, but you're also changing, as you said, the way that society views it, which I think is really powerful. I think I agree with you. And the way you just put that made it sound just as powerful. We're none of us are getting out of this scar free. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I, I like what you said too, about not, sustaining happiness too because you know that that isn't real we can't be happy all the time and a lot of the times we strive to be that but that's not helping anyone and so yeah I think that's great too is there any last thing you would like to share with with the listeners just I think hope is the key definitely and I I I actually read this story the other day, someone would just, was describing how depression feels to some people and they, they, they likened it to shoveling snow and how the snow would pile up again. And then you'd go out and shovel for four hours and you'd be so tired that you'd lay in bed. Mm. And, and um, basically at the end, she said, if you're a neighbor and you're noticing someone struggling, and when I say neighbor, I mean just anyone who's in a circle of, mm-hmm. of people, reach out to them. They keep Many of the advertising things that we've seen for so many mental health um, organizations have been reach out for help if you need it. But if you've ever been there, you know that that's a super hard thing to do. Absolutely. If you're seeing someone else struggling or you're recognizing those symptoms, reach out to them. Just make them feel like there's someone who's noticing them, someone who's caring about them. And you have no idea that the, what the power of that could, could actually hold for that one single person. And um, give them a little bit of that energy that they're lacking by showing them that 
that they mean something to you or that, that you're noticing, hey, you're, you're not quite yourself lately. Is there something we can talk about? Is there, is there anything I can help you with? Can I, can, you, can I bring you over a meal so you can have a little bit of a rest day today? Whatever that looks like, just check in with people when you think that things aren't quite right. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for, for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. You, Jake, you are one of my heroes, too, and what you do at your school to help other students and help other people realize what, what it actually feels like to be in university and, and the struggles and, and the trials, but also the successes and, and such. You, you guys in Jack.org itself, too, is very inspiring. So keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> keep doing what you're doing, too. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> thank you so much. We'll talk soon. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.